welcome to The Bucket Problem, episode 46. I am your host, Ace Anbender, and we are, as always, presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet, and we're a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, joining me today are Dan and Connor. Uh, it's good to have multiple guests on for the first time uh, in a little while here, guys. Um, how uh, how are we doing here? Uh, never better. I mean, honestly, like, you know, uh, my work situation right now, we're entering our, our recession era, our high interest rate era. So uh, major cutbacks have meant that I haven't gone to any uh, exotic locales in the last two weeks. So yeah, just chilling at home. Obscene. Absolutely <laughs> obscene. That's why that's wild that the CIA uh, like is, is also going through its flop era. Um, I didn't know. I thought that was like one of the most recession proof industries was, you know, being an intelligence agent. But um, no, I guess not. Look, first of all, Dan, I've never worked for the federal government. And second of all, the almighty dollar and the almighty spreadsheet come for us all. So <laughs> they, they got to feed these people. And, and I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately, but good Lord. Um, sorry, that's not what this podcast is about at all. Uh, today, we are going to talk uh, through Dan's Big Ten tight end rankings. And uh, then go through our uh, formative football games, uh, Michigan football edition, uh, as a bit of off-season fun. First, of course, we have our big moods. Um, I will start with uh, Michigan lost Eric Bakic to Clemson. Uh, Eric Bakic, the very successful head baseball coach, had brought Michigan to the College Series a couple times recently, you know. Definitely their best run of recent success. And he is no longer Michigan's head coach. It's not a sign that like Michigan does not take baseball seriously. Uh, This is an issue of uh, the Big Ten being a Mickey Mouse baseball league. Uh, And the vast majority of baseball talent, uh, especially that feeds into college baseball uh, being located mostly in the West and South and, you know, places where you can play year round. Um, so this is fine. Like I'm not upset about it, especially since Bakic had connections to Clemson. He began his coaching career there. It's quite frankly, a significantly better job. And uh, as long as fans expectations aren't that like what Michigan was able to accomplish under Bakic is the new kind of bare minimum for the program, then like, this should be okay because as long as you like, don't expect to get another Eric Bakic, Um, unless I don't know, like, I, I don't know what Barry Larkin is up to these days. But um, yeah, I, it's these things happen uh, when you're in the Big Ten for baseball and um, we can't change the weather until uh, eventually the weather just comes to us. But that, that might take a while. So uh, in the meantime, mid-major baseball conference that's that's big, just how big it 10 baseball in 2050 when uh um once uh once the ocean finally swallows like the entirety of the sec hole is going to be lit um we're going to have <laughs> we're going to have a year-round summer in michigan it's gonna be so sick eric bockage will be forced uh the entire oh forget about the acc the acc is gone by 2030 um eric bockage will have to return home um, so this is this is more of a long term plan for Michigan baseball. Uh, when South have, Carolina yeah. is just in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> right. Exactly. I have I mean, no worries like, about any of that. I'm not a baseball guy, but like, you know, uh, the recruiting grounds for Michigan football, the regional recruiting grounds have been bleeding population and thus cumulative talent for the last 50 years. The next 50 years could be better as people potentially move northwards. So, you know, let's let's not just say that climate change is a black and white issue. There's a lot of nuances to it. OK, yeah, yeah. De- definitely a gray area issue here that we're talking about. Would you uh-huh. would you accept the climate apocalypse if Michigan won the last national title? That'd yes. be kind of like yeah. a final yes. like, fuck you. To like when we're living in like a Mad Max style uh, reality and um, like but like one of like the warlords is a Michigan State fan. But like we have like the Michigan faction and we hold all of the water. Uh, it's going to be totally fucking worth it. It's going to be sick. Dude, if, um, if we're going to go out, you know, bad, we might as well go out on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, dude. I'm not going to stop watching football just because like the, the polar bears are dying. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm, I have um, that dog in me. I don't care about climate change at all. <laughs> I do want to make one kind of serious point, which is that um, I think this is hard for Michigan fans to process because like because of how high Michigan is in the director's cup standings and like 
how good of a job Michigan does being good at so many sports. This is one of the very few head coaching jobs at Michigan that is like objectively second tier at best. And like that you can move up a tier like very objectively. And I think it's really hard for people to accept that, even though as Ace explained, it is the case. So especially since um, softball has kind of defied those odds for a very long time now, but uh, Carol Hutchins is a pretty remarkable head coach and Michigan established themselves relatively early as a softball power, at least. And I don't know. I don't know specifically why like the big 10 manages to be better in softball than in baseball by a rather significant margin that I've been, I'm going to say it has something to do with academics. I'm going to say it has something to do with academics. That's my, I'm not going to elaborate on that, but that's my guess. <laughs> that, that might be a fair guess. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, for baseball, it's just something that, I mean, and it might be hard for Michigan to replace Carol Hutchins unless it's somebody off the Carol Hutchins coach, coaching tree. Um, just because that would be for the same reason we've been talking about baseball stuff. Um, but I'm far less an expert. Well, I'm not really an expert in any of this when it comes to bat and ball sports in college, but uh, we'll we'll roll with it. We'll pretend yeah. like uh, never forget that uh, Carol Hutchins follows me on Twitter, um, so she's my favorite uh, coach of any Michigan program. Um, it's extremely funny to see to think about her reading my tweets. <laughs> that is, I think she's logged on to uh, Red Suitor message board inspired by your tweets. Um, <laughs> Has oh, she yeah, ever you... clicked through? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. She's never, I don't think she's ever fit. She favorited one of my tweets one time. Um, I'm trying to, what, what actress no. she, <laughs> <laughs> she just seems like such a no nonsense woman. That's like, would be very scary to me. Um, but, uh, like at this, just imagining her reading, like my tweets about, I'm not going to do like a riff about like what my average tweet is on the podcast <laughs> that we're, we're trying to keep like safe for work, but you know, reading like an average tweet about like how, you know, trash Mark Antonio was, is, is very funny. Yeah. I appreciate that. All right. Let's, uh, let's keep the big moods going. Uh, Connor, I'll throw it to you first. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think this is kind of, this is like, has been the spring and summer of discontent for a lot of reasons for a lot of people. And I think that is very much on display in the discourse around Michigan recruiting. Like right now, I mean, it changes every day, but like last I checked Michigan's 2023 football recruiting class ranking was like barely in the top 40, which I get is always alarming to see no matter where we are in the cycle. Um, and they have a ground to make up and they lost a ton of momentum over the winter and early spring um, oh, for, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> well, like obviously the hardball Vikings thing was probably number one, but also just coaching turnover, just like general disorganization, um, which has kind of been a problem for hardball all along. But uh you know, I, I think that the upshot for me is like the class is going to be fine. It's pretty much always fine. I mean, Harbaugh's median class has been in like kind of the 10 to 12 range nationally. And, and while I agree, I'd like to see that go up. Um, and it's disappointing that we can't get like a top five class most likely coming out of, you know, a great historic year. Um, I mean, the, the worst ranked class and the, the most maligned class of, of Harbaugh's era that wasn't a transition class was 2018. And those were the upperclassmen who led us to the 2021 miracle season. Um, you know, I'll remind everyone, Ronnie Bell was the only receiver in that class and he was like legitimately not ranked. Um, so I just think Michigan's going to be fine. I think part of it's that Michigan's very good at evals. You know, they hit, they hit on a lot of 3.5 star or like lower four star guys. We'd all love to see more five stars or more like top, top 100 type guys. I agree that it's valid to say that you should have a few of those guys, like more of those guys locked up than we do already given the season we had. But I, I think people are going to get ahead of themselves and we can go into detail about this later, but I will say anyone who is concerned about Michigan recruiting right now should go look at what teams are at the top right now. Of the uh, 2023 <laughs> shocked composite. me earlier is... today when I saw this graphic that you posted. Yeah, I, I mean, you have to see it to believe it. I mean, I'll just I, I'll give it away, which is that the top five, number one is Notre Dame. That's a problem for Michigan because we do compete with them for a lot of recruits. Uh, number two is Texas Tech. Number three is Cincinnati. Number fourth, I swear I'm not making this up. Number four is Northwestern, right? Uh, so it, it is, I think my, my main point here is June is always fairly early in the cycle, although it's around the time that people start to get antsy about recruiting. But this year, and I'm guessing it's probably an NIL thing for the most part, and it's just gotten weird out there. This year, June appears to be a lot earlier than usual because the fact that Northwestern is in the top five this late 
is just deeply strange and suggests that these rankings are going to shuffle way more than they usually do. So, yeah, no, this, I mean, it certainly seems like NIL has slowed things down. And this is just a year where you got to, you know, like not get too antsy about it until at least the end of the summer. Um, <laughs> because, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, I, I won't be one of those people who's like the recruiting rankings only matter in December. It is nice to get some momentum going there. But it's, I mean, when Northwestern on the strength of something like what, 16 three stars is in the top five nationally. Um, I think everybody can kind of sit back and go, all right, as long as like Michigan's getting some visits and they did just come off a pretty big visit weekend. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of crystal balls. Go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah. Sorry. Um, it, it should be fine. Yeah. There's a lot of crystal balls coming in. Like I expect to get a pretty decent wave of commitments here soon and for Michigan to start rising in the rankings. I get that it's frustrating. Uh, and there are certain people out there who may think it's beyond frustrating and it, it's actually a huge problem. I don't know who those people would be. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we might, you know, they should be allowed to share their, their perspective as well. So, <laughs> uh, Dan, do you perhaps have a big mood? Michigan recruiting is an unmitigated disaster and we should absolutely uh, be canceling the program post haste. This is a fucking garbage. I hate it. What's the point? I'm sorry. I'm cursing a lot on this episode. Um, I, I love I, it. Yeah. Uh, but it, like, what's the point of winning the big 10 title if we can't get crews afterwards? I'm serious about that. Okay. Someone made the point. Um, the season is four months of the year. That leaves eight months of the year to, for recruiting. Okay, there's way more recruiting than there is actual games. And Excuse I me, there's a on... contract negotiation month in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, actually, I think from from my experience, the past couple of years, there's three contract negotiation months, which also <laughs> take away from the time that I can be reading about recruiting. There's no recruiting happening. With the actual season. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, no, it'll be fine. Uh, I'm mostly joking. I thought that'd be funny to do right after you guys, you know, <laughs> making a lot of serious points. Um, I think, I, I do think like it's, I think it's interesting. I think, I think I've made this point on the podcast before, but it's interesting to see like the opposite side of what Michigan has kind of benefited from, uh, for the last like, you know, 20 years is like Michigan never like beat Ohio state and like had some really like lean years in, you know, I don't, we don't need to reiterate. I don't know if you guys <laughs> known this, but before 2021 things were, generally pretty bleak um, or before 2015, whatever. Um, so uh, the point being that like Michigan was signing like top 15 classes, like that whole time, like the only time they really didn't was like the one like zombie Brady hope class. And part of the reason for that is that like Michigan had a lot to offer kids that wasn't about winning football games. Um, and they like carried a lot of name brand and they like brought a lot of attention and that allowed them to recruit at like the same level. And ultimately a lot of high school kids like, don't watch college football um, and they don't uh, like, or don't watch college football as closely as, you know, like we do. And they're not sitting there like, Oh man, like, you know, Michigan, uh, Michigan lost to Michigan state this year. Like I'm going to go to Michigan state instead of Michigan. Like they're just like, kind of, it's a lot about like relationships. It's a lot about like, you know, the, the name brand of the, of the school. Um, and, and we're kind of seeing the opposite side of that this year where like, yeah, Michigan finally won something, but that actually doesn't matter. Like Georgia is still giving out like tons of money. Like Notre Dame is hot right now. Like they've got a new coach. Michigan State is hot right now. Like they're they're, you know, killing it on the trail. Like winning football games is not like the it, it, I feel like a lot of Michigan fans thought like, "Oh, now that we're winning, like we're going to bring in like a top 5 class." And I definitely hoped and thought that. Um, <laughs> but I think it's fair. Like there's a lot of teams that have won. I mean, look at Michigan state, Michigan state won a ton in the early 2010s and um, you know, still is in a pretty good place as a program, but they, they won a lot and they never brought in like even a top 15 class. I mean, that 2016 class that, you know, had all those legal issues and, but like was like their crown jewel at the time that it was like the 16th ranked class. Um, so it's, it's like, my point is like where you can recruit, really does have like a hard floor and a hard ceiling. And it's really, really, really hard to get above or below that. Um, now, one way Michigan could do that is like getting more into the NIL game. But like, I'm, I'm sorry, like I, I'm, I'm with the flipping the field guys. Like I am fully tired of talking about NIL. I don't want to hear about it anymore. It's over. Um, the the only thing I was going to say about it is that it's just taking what was 
totally underground before and has taken some of it above ground. And it's yeah, like, dude. Michigan struggled in that same aspect before. Right, dude, right. And it's like, okay, like there's there's limited examples. Like AM, for instance, has decided, like, oh yeah, we're like AM, Miami, Notre Dame, weirdly, like a couple schools have really gone like all in on NIL. So there are like limited examples, but it's so funny. People are like, oh, dude, if Michigan doesn't get on, get in the NIL game, they're not going to get into these like Southern five stars that like Ohio State comp- competes for. It's like my brother in Christ, where have you been past <laughs> like hundred years of Michigan? Play? We never get those guys. That's just what's uh, always been happening. So or if like, we do get them, they're Aubrey Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, or we get them. It's like, dude, for, for us to get like a Southern five star, it has to be like, yeah, like his entire family grew up. They all have Michigan like tattoos in their fucking face. I'm sorry. I'm, I got to stop cursing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've been, I just, on a roll. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, like they've all got like Michigan tattoos in their face. Like they all have their heads shaved in like the winged helmet design. And like, <laughs> then we'll, then we'll maybe like get a hat on the table for the final three before he goes to Georgia. Like that's how yeah. that goes. Um, it's but, probably yeah. telling me that the first recruit I thought of that was a Southern five star before Aubrey Solomon. Um, other than DeMar Dorsey, who never wound up on campus, uh, was Anthony Thomas, who was from Louisiana uh, and uh, played when Dan was, what, an infant? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. My dad's always talking about Anthony Thomas. Um, whatever. <laughs> don't care. I, I just want to say also, like, one legitimate thing, and Dan kind of mentioned this. Um, I will say that I talked about the top five recruiting classes and how ridiculous they are right now. Um, it is actually a serious problem for Michigan that that number one and number five are Notre Dame and Penn State, which are probably the two schools we compete against most directly for recruits most often. And also that Michigan State is doing well. We, rec- we compete against them a lot, too. And of course, Ohio State's a constant. But honestly, like Michigan got caught in this weird situation where I, I don't think they're competing very well this cycle with their most direct competitors and they're going to have to make it up from somewhere. Um, so there's a legitimate I, I think complaint be made there. I will I will raise one point though, which is hard to prove, but you kind of hear rumblings about, which is that like Michigan feels good enough about some position groups they're recruiting that they are like taking their time and being very choosy. You keep hearing that, and I kind of believe it actually, um, in some cases, but there is still a lot to to correct. I agree. Yeah, there's yeah, choosy, it's... and then there's uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Michigan's the being as choosy as their. Uh, as the recruits are being choosy yeah yeah Yeah, well um i think that so and also like it's funny we're having this conversation now because we haven't recorded a podcast in the hot sec um but or well ace recorded a podcast i haven't been on the podcast so i'm assuming you know i i don't listen to podcasts i'm not on um (laughs) but uh but um i it's funny because they actually do have some some momentum right now um and like they'll end up with a fine class, um, but like if you really want to like know why Michigan's struggling this this cycle, it literally is just Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame's murdering it right now on the trail, and they like every single one of the kids. It feels like every kid in like the early like uh, spring months was like, oh, they're down to like Notre Dame and Michigan, and they chose Notre Dame. It was every single kid, and usually and Michigan Notre Dame. Grandson. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is not great, Bob. Um, but like they, they, Notre Dame and Michigan usually split those types of kids down the middle. Uh, and this, this year, Notre Dame's getting a lot more because Marcus Freeman seems like he's a great recruiter, but you know, look, there's, it's a long season. They've got to prove it on the field. Um, Michigan's doing okay. Um, they are looking like they're going to get a linebacker from, uh, from my neck of the woods, uh, Warminster PA. So it is pretty funny that we are now in a position of like hoping that that you know ohio state just completely destroys notre dame so badly that their <laughs> program has to cancel itself because like i just well, i want ohio state to like put 75 on notre dame that would actually help us a lot <laughs> yeah I, I mean look i honestly like i've i've always been of the i root for ohio state every time they're not playing uh, uh michigan like i mean i want michigan and ohio state to be undefeated at all year so that um, we can all get together and uh, kiss um, on the Saturday <laughs> after Thanksgiving. I was waiting to see that's, where that was going, and thank you for yeah, taking that's, it where you That's did. the kind of fan I – no, like, I for a long time – it's like, look, it is funny to root <laughs> for – like, it up. is funny to watch Ohio State uh, lose, but it is, like, much more, like, when we just, like, build up all this sexual tension, like, all year so that we can, like – you know, we can kiss uh, on, <laughs> on on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It rules. 
it's like an anime video where like they're like getting ready to fight and they're glaring at each other but their eyes yeah. are kind of going wet at the edges and it's kind of sexual yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like very very yeah i don't know where we're gonna go. it's very sexual for this sure. is gonna the be Ohio, even funnier when State. you guys figure out what me and dan are doing in like a month and a half <laughs> oh yeah and that's sexual too uh oh don't, don't get it. clear yeah <laughs> uh yeah no i would say ohio state michigan definitely the most sexual rivalry there's a lot of tension there <laughs> um all right dead silence good uh, let's move on to let's let's talk now that we've really got like the temperature up here um let's talk tight end rankings one of the sexiest things you can talk about i mean we are a big 10 country i assume that's not ironic <laughs> at all no no um all right yeah we've got uh we we've done position rankings uh before my little uh summer break there um i think we've covered what quarterback offensive line and running back so far dan correct yep and uh so we are logically moving straight from that to tight end uh this is the big 10 folks um <laughs> we're covering the important stuff first uh i assume fullback is next um and uh once again we go bottom to top uh dan uh has put together a handy little spreadsheet so he is pretty much going to lead this um and uh we are starting with dead last and uh this kind of actually defies tradition for them considering they always seem to have a productive quote-unquote super back um who's just an h-back really uh but northwestern dead last (laughs) yeah so a quick note on like methodology here i actually did tight ends and wide receivers at the same time what i did was i took the top four like to try to adjust for different styles of offenses um, I took the top four returning snap getters. Um, so basically like, and I made it so that you had to have at least one tight end and at least two wide receivers. So basically every team either has three, three receivers and one tight end or two tight ends and two receivers. Um, so like that kind of like, so teams that have that generally use more tight ends are going to be like ranked a little bit higher. Um, whereas teams that don't use tight ends are going to be ranked a little bit lower. But like then in the when we get to the receiver section, like teams that use less receivers are going to be ranked a little bit lower, whereas teams that, you know, it's all just an adjustment for like try. I, I didn't think there was a good one size fits all for like, oh, every team has to have three wide receivers and one tight end because this is the Big Ten. And like a lot of Big Ten teams do use tight, two tight ends more than they use the receivers. So uh, um, no prizes for guessing which category Michigan falls into, by the way. Yeah, right. No, absolutely. <laughs> That's I, I yeah, it's a uh, speed and space, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so starting with Northwestern, um, I'm really glad we could openly laugh at that now. It feels so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it, so but Northwestern. Miami? Northwestern's tight end room is actually one of the funniest rooms that I have um, come across. They use two tight ends, or they they generally use two tight ends, and they are literally the worst two tight ends that I ranked. Um, these guys both stink. Uh, Marshall, Marshall Lang and Charlie Mangieri. Um, there's not much to say here. Like they're just, they're bad blockers, um, just across the board. Uh, so like Northwestern is using a lot of tight ends. They can't block. Um, they, uh, I mean, they're just bad receivers. They're both under six yards per, per target. Um, Marshall Lang catches a lot of touchdowns. He had three touchdowns on, uh, 11 receptions. So, that's that's like the best stat out of both of them. But like, yeah, these guys just aren't very good. Um, and I think part of this is hurting because Northwestern did lose uh, some of their receiver talent. So if they had more of that coming back, I would probably be ranking three receivers instead of uh, two tight ends. But um, yeah, no, where things sit now, uh, not not a good situation for Northwestern. Um, I'm glad you, know, you didn't rank three receivers because now we get to see that uh, Charlie Mangieri had an average depth of target of 4.2 yards last season. <laughs> Northwestern's yeah, offense is incredible. Yeah, that's that is no bueno. Um, that is that is thing, last on this list. <laughs> the best thing you can say is that Northwestern also has the worst quarterback by far. So like these guys weren't getting any help, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It's it's bleak. I feel bad for our boy Bang uh, Ben. That's uh, it's grim. I also love that like Marshall and Charlie. Like once again, Northwestern is undefeated at having like an entire. All of their skill position rooms are made up of guys who sound like they were on like a nineteen twenties Princeton national championship team. I love it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, honestly, Charlie Mangieri might be a little bit too ethnic for Princeton in the nineteen twenties. Right. <laughs> That's like a forties, like, like a forties. Yeah, they're 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 definitely calling him Italian slurs. Um, <laughs> we're slow to accept the Mangieris. Oh uh, yeah, this this one's gonna be a heater, boys. I'm, I'm feeling it. <laughs> oh Um, man all right uh Uh, before we piss off any more italians uh (laughs) maryland to number 13 uh dan it seems like there's not a lot to even say about them yeah Corey deitches um is is actually like a pretty middle of the road um tight end maryland only uses one tight end so they don't really like utilize the position very much he's he's actually okay but like it's it's like if that's your tight end one it's not much to say like not really a good blocker, um, doesn't play that much. Like, so that's their number one tight end. And he like only had 274 snaps. Um, doesn't really like gets targeted a lot when he's on the field um, and converts at like a pretty decent rate, like seven yards per reception. So like Corey Deitches in himself um, is a totally fine tight end, like catches touchdowns, not a great blocker, like a, a totally okay um accessory receiver uh to maryland's like very good receiver room so i mean this is kind of an instance where maryland is being hurt by the fact that in this tight end ranking by the fact that they use more receivers and i expect that their receivers are gonna come out pretty well uh when we do that maybe next episode so um yeah but for tight ends not great um indiana uh kind of a similar situation i'm gonna try to roll through this one aj barner um is totally average he is an okay blocker. Um, he is targeted a good amount when he's on the field, but they don't, again, they just don't utilize the position very much. Um, and he converts those targets at a decent rate. Uh, he's got over seven yards per reception. Um, like, again, like in and of himself, AJ Barner is a fine tight end, but Indiana just doesn't utilize the position very much. We'll see if that changes um, with a change of OC. Um, either one of you have any comments about uh, the most nondescript uh, position groups that I think I've gone through? Nope. I'm just sad that we're missing one of my favorite all-time Big Ten names now, Peyton Hendershot. Uh, happy trails, man. Oh, yeah, that does rule. That's 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 a good uh, – that is for sure a good name. Good good name. Um, uh, crappy person should be noted. Um, that's that's true, but it's a great – like it's like a it's like a Western name, you know, like from yeah. the 40s. He was also there <laughs> forever, it seemed. Yeah. What did uh, he do that I, I'm, I'm looking it up now real quick? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. You know what? It's I, we will not. It uh, wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. Uh, Probably derail this whole thing. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um. All right. So, uh, moving on. Um. We've got Rutgers. Uh. Up next. So Rutgers has kind of um an interesting situation. They have um they use two tight ends more often than not. They have some pretty heavy run formations. They're kind of like, sort of like um if urban Myers offenses uh, from 2013, like didn't have any passing threat, um, which is cool. In my opinion, I do like Rutgers <laughs> offense. I think it's like designed. Well, Johnny Langan is like a starving man's Taysom Hill. He was, he was moved out over from uh, he was moved over from um, quarterback. And so like, there's a little bit of like weird stuff. Cause some of his snaps were like at wildcat quarterback, but he's actually a pretty good blocker um, at least in the passing game. Um, and he's a pretty efficient receiver. He was targeted on like 20% of the time when he's on the field, um, caught almost 80% of them, uh, for, you know, almost eight yards per reception. Um, so like kind of, uh, you know, like a, a pretty successful position switch. He's kind of like, he's on the, the top half of, of tight ends in the league. Um, but you know, overall, like, uh, a, uh, you know, this room isn't great, um, because, Matt Alamo is uh, one of the the worst, uh, you know, tight ends in the in the league. He's he's right above the Northwestern pair. Um, so like, if you're using two and one of the, and one of them's average and one of them is really bad, um, it's just not run block. <laughs> yeah, like it's just not really like you. You'd really like to see more run blocking from this group. Um, and you know, so but I do think it's cool to have like the 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 Taysom Hill like tight end uh, tight end slash quarterback uh, gimmick type thing. So. And Rutgers occasionally does some interesting things with Langan. So, I mean, by, at, at least uh, by the standards of their offense, some pretty interesting things with him. So he's uh, he's not a bad player. Um, next up, a team that is loaded with talent that doesn't use it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so next up here, um, this is for sure the lowest that we're going to have any Ohio State position group. Uh, I have them at 10. 
Um, they just don't use tight ends. Like, I don't really know what else to say about it. Cade Stover is, um, is not really all that good. Like he, he was okay. I mean, he has nine, nine and a half yards per reception, but like only for, per target, but he's only got five receptions. Um, he actually did pretty well with the targets that he did get. He has like a lot of yak after, uh, you know, yards after catch, um, that, per that reception. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, for sure. So like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like Cade Stover could be good. And I actually have them higher than I would normally, like I had them like 13th originally, but I bumped them all the way up to 10th just because like they've recruited this position really well. They've, they've got five scholarship players with an average rating of like 92.6. So I kind of feel like they're losing some receivers. They'll probably have to use the position a little bit more. Um, And I'm just not going to put Ohio state 13th in anything. Like that's just ridiculous. Um, he's, he's an okay blocker. Uh, but you know, like again, Ohio state, just, this is a position that Ohio state has chosen, has chosen not to, um, you know, not to emphasize at all. And that seems a little strange until you look at their receiver room and then it starts to click a little bit. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Next one up was actually a bit of a surprise to me because I just assumed they'd have somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got Penn state up next. Uh, Penn state's another one that they use a lot more receivers. They've only got one. Um, Brenton strange is actually pretty good. Um, he's, uh, he's a, a good, a really good run blocker, which is surprising. Like that's, he probably doesn't get utilized a lot because the coaches are like, that's not allowed here. Actually. Um, <laughs> you're not allowed to be like a run blocking tight end. Um, and, uh, he's actually like more of a blocker than a receiver, like not told, not really, especially efficient. Um, doesn't catch a lot of his targets, uh, only has 6.6 yards per target. Um, he's good when he gets the ball in his hands. He did catch a lot of touchdowns last year. Um, but you know, he's a good blocker, middle of the pack tight end, uh, Penn state doesn't utilize the position a ton. Um, I, I think the, the thing here is they do have a lot of talent. They've, they've recruited, like, I think Theo Johnson was a guy that Michigan really, yeah. really wanted that's on their roster. Yeah. So I could see that I could see them moving up, but I'm just not really comfortable putting them like with what's on their roster. Now I could, I'm not comfortable putting them above any of the, the positions above them. It's remarkable with Penn State. I mean, we've been doing this, you know, we've gone through, I guess, all offensive groups by now. Um, when you look under the hood at like the results to get their talent, it's probably the worst ratio in the whole conference overall, right? At least on offense. Like I, it's, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> in all seriousness. Yeah, it's, it all comes down to like, it's just bad fundamentals. Like they've, we've, we've talked about this before. I mean, they're, look, their defenses are always good. Like they, I, I envy their defensive talent and the way their defense defenses have built. Like I think overall, like Penn state's defenses give given Ohio state the most trouble over the past uh, couple yeah. of years, you know, for, for sure. I mean, they always hold Ohio state to like at least respectable totals, but on offense, it's just like, they always have one guy that's really good that they go to all the time. And like the offensive line is just, I mean, look, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but like they can't just like build together like a, a really, um, you know, uh, a, a coherent offense. And it's, it's, it's annoying. Cause like they have a lot of talent. Um, and I think like, even no, I mean, like, fine. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm cool right. with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I am cool with it to be clear. Um, but yeah, it makes me annoyed like for, as like a football fan. Um, all right, moving on here, we've got uh, Michigan state. Um, so Michigan state uses a lot of tight ends. They've got two tight ends on this list. Um, kind of a situation where they're both like middle of the pack. Um, Daniel Barker is a transfer from Illinois. He, uh, is, he was pretty good. Like he's, he's, he's totally middle of the pack. Um, a, a decent blocker overall. Um, he was utilized a fair amount. Um, he didn't catch a lot of his targets. Only 58% of, of his targets were caught. Um, but that's again with a really bad quarterback. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt and only had, had under seven yards per target. Um, but he did catch a lot of touchdowns. I think he like holds the Illinois, like all time record for touchdowns caught or something like that. Um, he was, it's, it's so, this is actually kind of a funny, like little bit of trivia. Daniel Barker caught the touchdown to complete the Illinois comeback versus Michigan state in 2019. And now he is playing for Michigan state. (laughs) Which is pretty I, wild. I hope he lets them know every day in the locker room. Yeah, that, that was. Yeah, him. he got D- D- Daniel Barker caught a touchdown to complete a twenty-eight to three comeback, um, the most famous twenty-eight to three comeback of all time, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, he, he so he caught a touchdown to complete a 23, twenty-eight to three comeback from 
uh, Brandon Peters in 2019, which feels like <laughs> 17 years ago. Um, but uh, that doesn't yeah, seem like it should be Michigan possible. State. But I, I believe you. <laughs> 2019, um, the last time that Ohio State beat Michigan in football, I agree. I can barely remember it. <laughs> uh, and then uh, their second tight end, I have. I so I have Daniel Barker ranked as um, the 10th best tight end in the in the uh, conference, which I probably should be saying that more. Sorry if I'm if I've missed that a couple times. Um, and then I have uh, Tyler Hunt, who really throwback to like true OG, um, another Michigan football podcast listeners. Uh, one of the first things uh, Michigan State that uh, me and Connor ever made fun of was that um, Tyler Hunt was moving from punter to tight end uh, for Michigan State. Uh, turns out, okay, so we got super owned on that. Um and uh, it's he's, the first he's time actually, you've ever been owned by Michigan State. We should for sure. Um, first and only time. Yeah, <laughs> he's not much of a blocker, but he is a really good receiver. Um, caught a lot of his targets, 88 percent converted them at over eight yards per target. Um, you know, like he's a really good second option. Like he's he's one of the better second options in the league. So Michigan State having the 10th and 14th best tight end in the, in the conference, respectively, like that moves them up over a lot of the teams that might have a better tight end one, but don't have, you know, don't utilize a tight end too. Um, and I think Daniel Barker's got a lot of room to uh, improve because he's going to be playing with a, in a better offense than he was, you know, at Illinois. Um, and uh, Jay Johnson really like wants to emphasize this, the, the Michigan off Michigan state offensive coordinator really wants to emphasize this position. Um, so I could see this, you know, I, I think this is one of the, this is a, a, you know, it's still in the bottom half of the rankings, but like, I think there's a respectable room. Like you've got two decent options. Um, any, any comments on Michigan state from the peanut gallery? I am still glad we made fun of Tyler hunt. I look back fondly in those days of innocence when we were mocking the Mel Tucker era, I will not take it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, Illinois, uh, moving up next here. Um, or no, actually, sorry, Nebraska. I skipped Nebraska. Uh, never forget Nebraska. Um, Travis Vogel, they've only got one guy on this list. Um, I have Travis Vobelek ranked as the seventh best tight end in the uh, conference. He's pretty good. Um, good blocker across the board. Uh, he is not utilized very much, which is really what's holding him back. But in the times that he is targeted, uh, he catches a lot of them and he converts them for over nine yards per target. Um, I think he, I, I was really impressed watching him play against Michigan. Um, I think he's like a really, really good option. That's just kind of underutilized in this offense. Um, so if he was, if he was utilized more, like I could see him like way up at the top of this list, but he's not. Um, and that's why, uh, Nebraska is ranked seventh and he is the seventh best, uh, tight end in the conference. I was trying um, to picture him and then I re- was trying to picture Adrian Martinez checking down. And that's when I realized that's why I can't picture Travis Vogelback. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I said this before when we did running backs with Nebraska, but like they, when you look again at the details of position groups, their offense looks, you know, like it should be at least the upper half of the Big Ten. And given that they're in the Big Ten West, they start to look like a team that should win like, you know, eight games. And we know that they're going to win four games instead. And uh, they're just in a deeply strange position as a program. Maybe they will win eight games. I don't know, but I doubt I'm- it. <laughs> I am 100% talking myself into Nebraska. Every they come out well in like every one of these. Um, actually, like or at least middle of the pack. Yeah, I don't know. They, they, they It's like it's like they they objectively like had. It's amazing to have this many good players and be bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Uh, um, moving on here, uh, Illinois. Um, Th- this isn't a real name. The one you're going to read off first is not a real name. Uh, is it Tip Tip Raymond? Uh, yes. Yeah, Tip Raymond. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's tip Raymond is not much of a receiver, but he's a great blocker across the board. I've said blord twice on this podcast. Um, that's <laughs> terrible, dude. Uh, I, uh, so he, he's like barely does anything as a receiver, but he's utilized a lot and is like a key component of Illinois running game. And that's a running offense. And we need to respect that. Um, I'm not going to ding him for like not being much of a receiver because he's one of the best blockers in the conference. Um, I had him ranked as the, uh, sixth best tight end in the conference. Um, and then their second guy, uh, Luke Ford, who real recruiting heads will remember as a head to head battle, Michigan versus Georgia way back in like 2016 or 17. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a five-star he's, he's ended up kind of being a little bit of a bust, 
Um, but he's a passable. Uh, well, actually, no, he's not. He's he's just not very good. But he five, is star, a, five stars ending up as the second string tight end on Illinois. I think you don't have to say that he was a bust. I, I was going to say a little bit of a bust. That's, yeah, uh, it's really no tragic. bueno. But uh, he is a good blocker. So like both of these guys are good blockers. Um, Illinois uses a positional position a lot. Like I'm I'm pretty comfortable with them as as the sixth best spot. Um, but. Yeah, no, that is it is funny that I was about to say something nice about Luke Ford, and I was like, oh, I looked at the stats. I'm like, no, actually, that's that's not true at all. <laughs> um, moving on up, uh, Wisconsin. Um, so Wisconsin has like Clay Clay Cundiff, I believe. Uh, like, wasn't Bielema or not Bielema's? What's the guy's name? Alvarez is like a uh, grandson or something. Was their tight end that was get they got all their snaps last year? I'm totally blank on his name. Jake Ferguson. Um, Jake Ferguson. That's right. So Clay Cundiff uh, was like more lightly used, um, but he uh, he was really, really promising um, as a blocker and as a receiver in the minimal amount that he was used. He caught all of his targets for uh, 28 yards per target. Um, and he also was a really good blocker. Um, I He'd be a lot higher if we were just going on like purely like efficiency numbers, but I dinged him way down because he like wasn't used very much. Three targets three targets, but like, you know, a good blocker on pretty decent volume. Um, and then Jack Eschenbach, uh, I have as the, uh, the 18th best tight end in the conference. Um, he's not all that good. Uh, he's way down to the bottom, but you know, again, like I'm kind of a little bit here. I'm, I'm saying Wisconsin's going to figure it out at tight end. Like I, I don't, I hate, I'm hate to be reductive and just say like, Oh yeah, this team's going to be good. And in, in, for this spot, um, is that like, you know, but Wisconsin tight ends, like, I think we can kind of say like, they're going to find someone. Um, and they, and they utilize the position a lot. So like they, they get like the benefit of the doubt. They're, they're not on pack watch. Like the uh, Wisconsin O-line is. No, absolutely yeah. not. I also want to say if there's one position group where you're not likely to have people arguing passionately with you about your rankings, it's tight end. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, as long as <laughs> Iowa Twitter doesn't find this, uh, that's, oh, that's true. <laughs> speaking of which <laughs> I think they're next up. <laughs> Which might piss them off. <laughs> yep. Um, sorry, I was sending a text real quick. Um, Iowa. Um, Wait, so I wrote, locked it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, man, I got, I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm home. I'm trying to like get my pizza order in. Um, I finally got East Coast pizza for the first time. They don't make real pizza in Chicago. It sucks. I hate it. Um, and I'm, <laughs> Ooh, I'm getting my pizza order in. They, no, yeah, they make look, a great casserole. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ace clip. knows Ace knows what's up. Ace knows what's up. And I like Detroit style, by the way. So like if, if you're thinking about starting that fight with me, I do like Detroit style, but it's not the same as New York style pizza. Well, um, given that you guys have roasted me on Twitter when I can't even defend myself by pulling clips of me talking shit, I insist you pull that out for your big 10 centric <laughs> audience. You can't say <laughs> the Chicago pizza sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's no good. Um Sam Laporta. Sam Laporta is the only good player on Iowa's offense. Um, Iowa's offense is looking to be uh, in a real rough spot. Um, they like they use a lot of tight ends, but they don't have a lot of them coming back. Uh, they brought in like a whole bunch of transfers. Um, anyway, he's uh, he's not a great blocker, but he is like a just a really superb receiver on huge, huge volume. I mean, I think he had 53 receptions, which I'm pretty sure was the most in the conference for a tight end. Um, and he had... Uh, I think 81 targets and converted it for like 8.2 yards per target. And that's with um, Spencer Petras throwing in the ball. So like to be that good in a bad offense, like I'm almost giving you more props than I, I would normally. Um, I have him as the fourth best tight end in the conference. Um, and I have Iowa as the fourth best tight end room in the conference. Um, I think like being this good in a bad offense is even more impressive than like, you know, being uh, just like just another Ohio state receiver or something like that. Like this is, he's truly overcoming a lot to be good. <laughs> Yeah, if anything, I would say you might have him a little underrated at four. Um, I mean, he's one of the guys getting some NFL draft buzz for 2023 as like the next tight end after Michael Mayer of uh, Notre Dame, who is like the number one with a bullet tight end prospect. Uh, but um, although uh, Eric Hall also uh, in the top tight ends in the NFL draft conversation. Um, probably not as high as like Eric Gilbert, but, uh, still in there. Um, so yeah, uh, I could see Laporta moving up this list, uh, and probably I'd be surprised if they moved lower than, than fourth, but, um, at the same time, the, the teams he got coming up also have some quality options. 
Yeah, it's it's. It, I mean, like, look. One thing about the Big Ten is like there are a lot of good tight ends. Like we we made fun of like the quarterback situation, um, but you know the Big Ten has a lot of good tight ends. So I, I think I don't think Sam Laporta being fourth is necessarily like an indictment. Um, <clears throat> next up, we actually have uh, someone that one that surprised me, Purdue. Um, they uh, I have them at uh, they they they're going to be utilizing more tight ends this year. Um, I have them with the third and fifteenth best tight ends respectively. Um, Payne Durham is uh, really, really good. Um, I'm now looking at, oh, I, I totally skipped over Minnesota. Sorry about that. Um, sorry. Uh, Minnesota is number three. Um, Brevin Spanford uh, is really the only tight end they use. And he's really, really good. He's the best tight end in the league um, by my estimation. He's the best receiver um, at tight end that got a significant amount of um, targets. He had, uh, he had 29 targets last year. He caught uh, almost 80% of them and had 10.2 yards per target. Um, he also had a ton of yak per reception. He had 7.13 yards after catch per reception. Um, so, I mean, just a really, really good receiver at tight end. Um, I, I have I have Minnesota lower because they don't utilize the position very much, but like Brevin Spanford uh, was, was definitely one of the most efficient um, receivers at the position uh, in – in the big 10 and honestly in the country. Um, so a little bit of a, probably a little bit of a, um, <clears throat> an upset pick to like have him as like one of the best tight ends in the country. But I think he, his numbers warrant it. Um, but again, like Minnesota as a whole, like they only have four scholarship tight ends. So even though they have the best tight end in the, in the uh, conference, I, I, I have them as the third best like tight end room overall. Yeah. It's not a uh, hugely emphasized position in, uh, PJ flex offense. Um, yeah. Unlike, uh, I mean, Purdue, I, I, the next team up as you've uh, kind of given away, um, I would say has been like consistently like low key, very good at the tight end position under Jeff Brown. Yeah. They, they love to like use tight ends in really creative ways. Like I do really like Jeff Brom's like draw it up on a napkin type plays. Um, so talking about Purdue, uh, Payne Durham and Garrett Miller. I have Payne Durham as the third best tight end in the, in the conference and Garrett Miller as the um, <clears throat> 15th best tight end in the conference. So pretty middle of the pack for Garrett Miller, but like to have, you know, they use two, uh, they, they use them a lot more and like, you know, to have like a solid backup is, is more than most teams have. Payne Durham is just a really good blocker and a really good receiver. Um, he's, he's one of the more like, he's very he heavily utilized in the passing game. Uh, he's targeted 20% of the time that he's on the field. Um, he catches a lot of those and converts them at almost eight yards per target. He caught six touchdowns as well. Um, so like he has touchdowns on 13% of his receptions. So they're really getting the most out of position. Um, and then Garrett Miller is not great, but like, you know, it, it, he's, he's a solid backup option. He's he, a he really good run block, which is kind of what you want out of a number. Two right. Exactly. If you got a number two guy that you use a lot and can run block, um, and also like catches the ball when it's thrown to him. Like that's, that's a good number two. So I've got, uh, I've got Purdue at number two, um, just in terms of tight end rooms. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I was really surprised by that. I thought of them more as a receiver school, but like they do do a good job, um, you know, utilizing the position. Like what, like I feel like a lot of backbreaking plays are to the tight end at Purdue. Yeah. When I think about like, even like the Rondale Moore teams also featured like Bryson Hopkins, like, breaking up the seam for what seemed like massive games like a couple times a game. So yeah, I, I mean, it's like a part of a pretty core part of Jeff Brom's offense, even though you kind of think of him as more of a, I, I think most people think of him as a spread guy, but he uses a fair amount of two tight end sets and uh, they're pretty good with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so moving on to number one, um, the second time I've gotten to put Michigan at number one at one of these, um, I have them, I have Eric all as the second best tight end right behind Brevin span Ford. Um, and I have Luke Schoonmaker uh, down the list a little bit at number 12. Um, so just talking about Eric all like great run blocker. We know that um, not as good as a pass blocker, but isn't really asked to do this as much um, utilized a ton targeted a ton brings in a good amount of those for uh, over nine yards per target. Um, which is really, really good. He has a ton of yak uh, per reception. Um, just overall, like a really, really solid tight end and like probably doesn't get enough love. Like I don't 
I just don't know if he's going to be the type that NFL teams are going to be willing to uh, like use a high draft pick on. But I think he is the type of guy that like he'll get drafted in the sixth round and just stick around the NFL forever as like the second blocking tight end that he'll be the type of guy that you're constantly picking up when you need a tight end in fantasy. Um, <laughs> and like, he'll, you'll just be like, all right, well, you know, maybe he'll get a touchdown <laughs> more or less. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just really solid. And, uh, I, I, I think he's got upside to explore still. Um, but we'll no, just definitely. see, like, there's so many, there's so many yeah. players on Michigan's offense that it's going to be hard to like, it's hard to say who's going to like really step up and be the dude. Uh, which, which one of us gets to point out, uh, what Dan was saying about Eric Hall at this time last year. <laughs> <laughs> what i was forced to say i was forced listen i was mm. i'm like i'm like uh i'm like shep smith um on fox news like you guys are and to be clear in this analogy you guys are the other people on fox news um i'm playing <laughs> i'm being forced to play a role that i do not agree with um i'm i'm being forced to be the the back i guess shep smith shep smith is the bad guy in this analogy um <laughs> this is making me feel bad but uh it's the, the, i was forced to say those was, things about was eric, eric all drafted in our uh in our draft last year yeah for sure he was to dan pick him up i think uh i must have i i, I think i, I, I had like to walk on at tight end yeah no i yeah so, you had a walk on i don't want to hear about I this say, I think the thing that Eric all is like, yeah, very, very solid receiver. And of course had a literally season saving play against Penn state that we all remember. Right. But um, which was, you know, on a, on a bum leg. I mean, it was <laughs> one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen a Michigan player do in fact. Um, but I think the thing that stands out to me about him is like tight ends are always to every kind of offense. Like they play a really important role in blocking, but like how often do you like have seared into your memory, like blocking highlights by a tight end, but like Eric all, there's several plays. And the one I think of most is when um, I think it was Haskins's first touchdown against Ohio state, Eric. And like, basically Haskins literally just like grabbed the back of Eric all's Jersey and was using him like a gigantic shield and just knocked like three Buckeyes into the end zone <laughs> and scored. And it was like, yeah, that's, I mean, you, you see that, like it, you see that sometimes with like, you know, elite offensive linemen and stuff, but like for a tight end to be out there in your memory as that dude and, and like, how important Eric all was to Michigan's running offense last year. That's why I think he's yeah something special. Yeah. He, he really like, um, he was, he just has such good contact pop. Like you'll just see him like really rock some dudes. Um, he has, he has some highlight blocks. Um, then talking about Luke Schoonmaker, um, not as much of a blocker last year, like came on a little bit late. He's middle of the pack. I have him as the 12th best tight end in the conference. Um, kind of disappoint. I was kind of assuming he'd be higher, but I don't really think he, like his production warrants it. Um, he was targeted a lot. He was utilized a lot. Um, he converted at like seven, uh, a little bit over seven yards per target, which is okay. He did t- catch a lot of touchdowns. So, you know, that's good. Um, but like overall, like pretty middle of the pack tight end, but I did, I thought he came on a lot late. And I could see him climbing up the ranks here and Michigan having like the best backup tight end, as well as the second best tight end overall, I think is, is, is enough to kind of put them at number one at, at the tight end rankings. Um, which to be clear, like just, just so I'm, we're not coming across as homers here. Like this is definitely the least important position on the offense. So, you know, it's, it's <laughs> not you're, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> right. That's for sure. Um, but like, you're kind of, I think you, if you're sinking a lot of resources into being really good at tight end, wouldn't necessarily be what I would do, but hey, I'm not the defending uh, the defending Big Ten champions. It's a, it's certainly a position where uh, you get a huge split in usage that you don't necessarily see elsewhere. Like you know, Ohio State basically choosing not to utilize a bunch of five star tight ends and still having a you know the best offense in the country, uh, right? So, yeah, I mean, we, the number of times that while going through this, we said this guy wasn't utilized very much, but, um, should tell you a lot about kind of the general state of tight end usage in the league. Yeah. I also want to say like, that's, it's true. And like, we make fun of how much Jim Harbaugh uses them. I will say like one other reason Michigan's a clear number one, I I think you already mentioned that Schoonmacher like came on really strong at the end of last year. And like some of the catches he was making, I was like, okay, wow. If this guy were our number one dude, I would still feel great about the tight end room. Um, But also like Michigan's recruited this position super well, you know, of course, because it's Jim Harbaugh. Um, They have so many young guys that haven't really played much that I believe in. And one of the most hyped true freshmen this year is, you know, Colston Loveland, who's a guy that, um, you know, was it a head to head win over Alabama as a recruit? Um, 
So yeah, we'll, we'll be we'll be uh, seeing some elite tight end play on plays that should definitely be thrown at a receiver for years to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We love just getting. Oh God damn, dude! I don't. I'm so. <laughs> we, I, I, we I get just, it. Like I, I, it is just. It's. I mean, I like. Look, it's the offense we run. It's the offense we run. It's it's our head coach's offense. Like I and I like the running. I think that I think what we I think what goes underutilized or what goes under talked about is how having multiple tight ends on the field creates a lot more gaps for defense. And when you have a really diverse running game, that can be a lot harder to defend. And like, that's just not sexy. And like, I'm, I have like, you know, a caveman brain that wants to see like, you know, big explosive plays. And like, I do sometimes wish that we would like, instead of doing 3d chess with like a thousand tight ends and like moving gaps everywhere and then pulling people to the other side of the, we would just like throw it to Roman Wilson um, but I understand, uh, that, you know, that's not the case and that's never going to be the case. I'm going to have to put that dream, let that dream die. Um, like a lot of dreams died when uh, Rich Rod, Rich Rod was fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are, as always brought to you by Homefield apparel, use the promo code bucket problem for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. Uh, big new Saturday season four, very much still going. It is frog week. That means, uh, TCU Horn Frogs, uh, they've teased a couple of the designs. They look fantastic. I mean, it's you know, it's a cartoon frog. It's 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 going to make for some good stuff, uh, and you know the the purple really makes it uh, distinctive. Uh, they've also started releasing mugs, which is very dangerous for me personally, um, because uh, yeah, I like I like buying mugs, and now my budget, uh, which is already strained by home field is going to be strained even more. Uh, they released a uh, their first bug, uh, which has the uh, Hawaii Rainbow Warriors rainbow logo on it. It's uh, gorgeous. I bought one within like 15 minutes of it dropping. Um, and you can do that too uh, by going to homefieldapparel.com. And if it's your first order, using the promo code bucket problem for 15% off. Uh, we are also brought to you by PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app. And use the promo code BUCKETPROB to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, though, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB. That is bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it. And use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we have... uh, lost Dan, uh, something came up for him, but, uh, we are going to, uh, probably more briefly than we initially planned, given the length of this podcast, uh, discuss, um, the games that were kind of formative to us because it's the off season and we wanted to do something fun because things haven't always been fun this off season, uh, especially with what I've been talking about recently. Um, so, uh, Dan wanted us to, to let you guys know, um, 2014 Penn state, um, no explanation, just, you know, that, that Penn state night game with the, <laughs> the blue, uh, jerseys with the like shutter shades, uh, numbers, uh, yeah, a very that was Dan the, choice. That was the first game game Dan can remember. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, he was moving up to chapter books shortly before that game. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. Um, for me, uh, I but my family moved here in 1993, uh, and my dad went here. Um, so getting season tickets was one of the first things to kind of uh, that was like on the list was getting two season tickets, and then having uh, me and my younger brother switch off going to games to kind of uh, get us wanting to go to Michigan was, I think, the the ultimate plan there, um, which uh, worked for me. Um, and so we started going in 1994 and uh you, i mean i've talked about it before but just the first time you walk into the stadium just especially when you're a little kid um going through that tunnel and then seeing this sea of people below you is just uh, a pretty breathtaking sight um so that's always stuck with me and then um from my childhood the game that really stands out is 1995 ohio state when the aka the, the Tim Biakatuka game when he ran for 313 yards because that was um, a level of collective euphoria that I did not know could exist. Um, and then 
suddenly I was just in the midst of it and uh, it was extremely cool. Uh, more recently, uh, the 2008 Wisconsin game, uh, at, you know, which was my junior year of undergrad at Michigan. I was in the student section. Um, obviously, the previous year had uh, taught us that uh, Michigan's program was uh, quite fallible. And then the uh, beginning of the 2008 season was tremendously humbling because uh, it went from bad to much, much worse. And, um, you know, I think, I think everybody was pretty down heading into a game against Wisconsin where Michigan was then losing pretty badly at halftime. A decent number of people left. Um, not any of us, though. Uh, our group stayed. Um, and uh, that is the Stephen Three, uh, John Thompson game. Um, and that, that kind of let me, it was important for that game to happen before we got like fully into the meat of the Rich Rod and Brady Hoke years. Cause that really let me like appreciate an individual game as an individual game. Uh, Cause you know, Michigan was on their way to going three and eight, but that is still like one of my most fond memories of being a Michigan stadium is just the complete pandemonium during the second half of that Wisconsin game. And it certainly helped to be in the student section for that, but uh, that's one of the perks of going to college. Uh, Connor, you've got, you've got a game that uh, I also uh, remember quite fondly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. was that? So uh, this is a game from 2000. You were at this game. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Uh, this is a game from 2004, which to give some context, I decided this morning when we were messaging about all of this, that like, 2004 for me is kind of the exemplary like oh wait i wasn't century. at this game this game was away sorry yeah, i was gonna say i thought it was at purdue but um i'm remembering the game where jay i think within a year of that when jason avant had a absolutely massive hit on special teams uh, against purdue <laughs> that's a preview of what's coming here folks um yes. yeah so this is the 2004 season is just like exemplary of kind of the frustration of being a michigan fan in this century <laughs> because it's at that point you're starting to get late stage like Lloyd Carr. Um, you know, no one knew that the 2003 win over Ohio State would be, <laughs> you know, the, the only win over Ohio State, <laughs> save for, yeah, the only non transition year win over Ohio State for almost 20 years. How innocent we all were back then, right? Um, but like late stage Lloyd Carr teams had a ton of talent, which was one of the really frustrating things about Lloyd Carr was like the 2004 team, and a lot of these guys were very young, but um, Chad Henney was the quarterback, Mike Hart, you know, was already a star running back. Uh, in the receivers room, you had Braylon Edwards, Jason Avant, Steve Preston. Uh, I think you've heard of all those guys. Like <laughs> between those five guys, you have decades of NFL experience. One of them is still in the NFL. In fact, I think Chad Henney still is, as far as I know, he was, he was last year. Um, David and, Ross and, was an all American interior lineman that year. Yeah. And Jake, Jake Long, Long rising. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jake Long emerged that year. So like that offense was loaded and, you know, by all, by, measuring by talent, you know, should have probably been a top five offense in the country. Uh, I don't, I didn't go back and check, but I'm pretty sure it was not because the offensive staff room had like Mike DeBoard, <laughs> Scott Leffler, like not a, and not Terry exactly Malone. A, yeah. And Terry Malone. Real yeah, bad, like, real, real bad. And uh, as always, always and forever, Fred Jackson, but uh, oh, yeah. this group did fine. Um, yeah. No, I mean, uh, and looking looking back on it, like production wise, like Mike Hart was already, you know, um, tearing it up that year. And in this game, the Purdue game, he had he carried the ball 33 times for over 200 yards, uh, 6.2 yards of carry. And looking at the stats, um, he is why Michigan won that game, because, the you know, uh, Chad Henney did not have a very good game, um, you know, right around 50 percent completion, one INT, one touchdown, I think 4.9 yards per, per throw per attempt. Um Kyle Orton, who was supposed to be a Heisman front runner before the season, that had already kind of faded by the time this oh, game word. happened. He also, yeah, a little bit. Uh, he uh, he also didn't have a great game. So it was like it was a hideous game, and this was a 16 to 14 rock fight between two ranked teams. Like Michigan had already lost once to Notre Dame. Um, you know they were still very much in the Big Ten title hunt. And you know, spoiler alert: Michigan would go on to win a share of the Big Ten title with Iowa in exceedingly unsatisfying fashion because they lost they got walloped by what on paper was an inferior ohio state team um i was doing some remembering some guys with ace this morning uh antonio Pittman, ohio state running back that year there's a guy for you uh troy smith a guy that we all we all remember he's kind of a big reason he's probably the biggest reason why ohio state won that game he ran all over michigan um 
I thought Ted Ginn had already emerged to torment me for years by 2004, but actually that was next year. <laughs> I had some Mandela effect. I have so much ten, Ted Ginn-related trauma, uh, especially from my own special teams, returning punts for touchdowns. Yes. But uh, anyway, I'm ra- I realize I'm rambling, but it's all important because that's 2004 for you. Oh, and by the way, when they after they won a share of the Big Ten title after getting smacked in the teeth by Ohio State and ended up at 9-2, and two, they then went to the Rose Bowl and lost to the Vince Young team by one point on a last-second field goal. Um, really thrilling game. And the fact that the Vince Young team won the national championship the next year, um, you know, makes it all somewhat better, at least. But uh, that's just cla- – I mean, how, everything I spelled out is, like, exemplifies, you know, the, the, the frustrations of being a Michigan fan. Nine wins, good team, should have been better, could easily have been a national title contention baffling loss to Ohio State that felt supernatural. But I will come back now to the 2004 Purdue game, which, like I said, was a rock fight, 16-14. And the most memorable thing about it for me and probably for everyone else was Purdue was driving at the end of the game, and they were already approaching field goal range. And Purdue receiver Dorian Bryant caught a ball and immediately gets upended by, I don't know if it was Leon Hall, I think one of the other Michigan DBs. I uh, Leon Hall had a Leon monster. Hall. Yeah, Lynn Hall had a monster game, by the way. He had a fumble recovery and an INT in this game. Um, but another, you know, incredibly good late stage lid car player. Uh, but when Dorian Bryant got upended and was still in the air, he ran into former five-star recruit Ernest Shazer, who is just like one of my favorite like Michigan players in the century because he was a five-star safety, you know, number one safety in the country. Could not play safety now. He was like a four-seven if that type 40 guy would he have couldn't to play even linebacker. play safety in the NFL immediately after his <laughs> Michigan career. <laughs> yeah. I was, he was already a dinosaur in 2004. Anyway, Dorian Bryant gets upended by Leon Hall. He's going down already. He's like flipping through the air and Ernest Shazor just blows him up in a hit that is like so incredible. Now that you basically never see it, like leads with his helmet helmet to helmet just absolutely spears this helpless guy who's in the air the ball comes flying out like i think if you, if you look at it in slow motion it looks like dorian bryant's almost like surrendering the ball <laughs> before like shazer even hits him but it's just like shazer destroys him the ball comes flying loose leon hall recovers it and michigan wins 16 to 14 and i think what's one of the many things that's funny about that is like that hit has been removed from the game with good reason like it absolutely should not be in the game of football uh if you did that now it would be the opposite of a game winning play it would be a game losing play because purdue would get the 15 yard penalty and probably kick their field goal um but that game was formative for me just because like the sort of frustrations and weird perverse satisfactions of being a michigan fan and watching a pretty good but somewhat disappointing team scratch one out in a horrible you know uninspiring big 10 matchup is like i mean it doesn't get more michigan football than that so that that is the quintessential michigan football experience (laughs) yeah uh yeah the 2004 season was uh that that was in the midst of the era where playing purdue was uh dangerous <laughs> yeah they were pretty and, good like and that, that, was, yeah. that that was like a formative fear for me that that was when i started to understand that like occasionally you're going to get bit in the ass by a big 10 team that you just do not think is a threat um 2000 uh northwestern also uh did that for me uh, i apologize for bringing that up um <laughs> but uh yeah um look i i like coming up in the 90s and then getting hit with like I was a student from 2007 to 2010 or 2006 to 2010. Uh, yeah. And then covered the team ever since then. Like the formative stuff is much better than the stuff that happened since. Uh, I feel bad for Dan though. Um, and on that note, I, I think that's all we got for this week. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Follow at bucket problem on Twitter, go to www.thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast. I've got a piece on Ward Manual up there right now if you haven't read it. And um, by the time you listen to this, I will probably have a piece up on the men's and women's uh, Big Ten basketball schedules that were released earlier today, um, today being Thursday. Uh, so yeah, subscribe to the newsletter and the bonus podcast, rate, review, and subscribe to this here free podcast. Uh, use the promo code bucketproblem at homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code bucketprob on points bet. Thank you for listening and have a great week.